Well, good morning and welcome to the worship service for Church in the Valley. Um, so glad that you've joined us. I especially want to uh, welcome any first-time visitors. We're glad that you're joining us for our worship service. Thanks to the worship team for leading us in worship through singing. Um, and I want to invite you to grab a Bible and open it up to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18 as we continue our series through the book of Philippians called Celebration and Growth. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. So if you grab your Bible and I'll read the passage in just a moment. And I want to invite you not only to open it up and follow along as I read, but then also really to keep your Bible open so that you can um, really see that, you know, where, where the points that I'm making are coming from in the scriptures. And so we want to really grow in God's word. And to do that, um, just having your Bible open will uh, make that so much more more easy. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. The title of the sermon this morning is Work of the Gospel. Work of the Gospel. So as I read the passage, uh, really kind of key in on that idea. And then I'll pray and we'll begin this morning's message. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Father, we come humbly before you um, and ask that your spirit would enable us to comprehend the message of your word, that your spirit would enable me to preach clearly and accurately the truth of your word. And God, uh, that you would accomplish your work and your will in us as a church, that we would not only believe, but that we would shine and really display the gospel in our lives. So, Father, we ask this. Uh, by the power of your spirit and for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is one of those passages of scripture, this idea of working out your salvation, that if it's misunderstood, uh, can really be a discouragement, um, maybe kind of a passage we want to avoid because we don't understand it. And I hope to bring clarity to this passage in a way that encourages you to both celebrate who Christ is and what he's done and also to grow in godliness. I mean, the main command of the passage is very clear right there in verse 12. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. And so that word work occurs a couple different times. We see it in verse 12. We see it twice in verse 13 um, that, you know, the, the, the gospel, there is some there is some work to this. And when Paul says, work out your own salvation, that is that is the central command of the passage. And I want to say two things up front. First of all, 
you know, this is not a corrective or a rebuke to this church. You know, Paul's not writing to them and saying, hey, you know, you're slacking, you're not doing something, get on it. There, there are letters in the New Testament where Paul does that, but I don't think that's what's going on here because Paul says right there in verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. So Paul's in prison. He loves these people and he's reminding them to continue doing what they're doing. And this is important because sometimes when we come to a passage of scripture, one of the ways we can be tempted to kind of check out is by thinking, well, this isn't for me. You know, this is for a group of people that are wandering and I'm not wandering. This is for a group of people that's slacking. I'm not slacking. So I'm just going to check out. No, this is for us as Christians. Um, if you are saved, if you have trusted in Christ, this command is for all of us. And so we need to pay attention to what Paul is saying. It's a reminder to commit ourselves to following Christ. And we're not going to do this perfectly. They weren't doing it perfectly. That's why there's room for growth. And all of us, no matter where you're at in your walk with Christ, need this reminder to work out our salvation. The second thing I want to say up front is that this does not mean that we work to earn our salvation. Notice it says, work out your salvation. Salvation is kind of at the center of Paul's theology. It should be at the center of our theology. This idea of the gospel that God will save anyone who is willing to turn from sin and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel. Um, salvation is something that they already possess. Notice Paul says, work out your salvation. You can't work out what you don't have. And so the important thing to keep in mind is that this is a message of grace. He's saying you already possess salvation. Um, the moment you put your faith in Christ, you are saved. And this is really important. Christianity is the only religion where a holy God comes and becomes the sacrifice for our sin so that we can know 100% we are saved when we come to faith in Christ and trust in his sacrifice for us. Every other religion leaves people hoping they are saved. But the Bible presents a faith where we can know that we are saved. By faith alone, by grace alone, we are saved. The question is this, what do you do with salvation? I mean, once you believe once you've trusted in Christ, what do you do with salvation? And part of the process of salvation, salvation is something we receive, but, but there's also something about our salvation called sanctification. And the moment we believe we are right with God, we are saved, we're at peace with God, God's, God's wrath is on Christ, it's not on us. We have been forgiven, totally forgiven. All of our past and future sins are covered by the blood of Christ. But there's a process called sanctification. And that's the part of our salvation that is ongoing. That's the, pro that's the part of our salvation whereby we are made more like Christ. We grow in godliness. We grow in holiness. And um, that's what happens in our lives as we are being slowly changed um, in ways that reflect our Heavenly Father. And so the amazing thing is that God is at work in us. That's what Paul says. Work out your own salvation. It is God who works in you. So this is so important. Salvation is not something we earn. And even the process of our sanctification is not 
dependent on our power. It specifically says it is God who works in you by the power of his spirit. God energizes. He brings about the change that we want to commit ourselves to in obedience to this passage. Salvation from beginning to end is God's work in us. And what Paul is calling us to do is to commit ourselves to the process of change that God is bringing about in our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit. God is at work in us to make us more like Christ. And Paul is inviting us to put our energy and our focus into joyful obedience. So here's the thing. As a Christian, life is no fun when we're working against God's work in us. You, you know this to be true. When we are when we're sort of putting our energies into things that are contrary to God's word and God's will and God's work in us by his spirit, there is no joy. There's just conviction. And we just know that things are not as they should be. But on the contrary, one of the things we're going to see in this passage is that there is so much joy and so much encouragement when we do what Paul is inviting us to do, which is to put our will and our energy in the direction of God's work in our lives according to his word by the power of his spirit. So let me kind of summarize what this is saying. Um, it's not a corrective. It's not a rebuke. It's an encouragement to people who are obeying. Um, it's not about earning your salvation. It's about applying your energy to growing in the salvation which Christ has accomplished for us. So working out your salvation is committing yourselves to applying the gospel to every area of life. Matter of fact, the Greek word here really sort of indicates an intensity. It's really about um, it's about applying the gospel to all of your life, all of your thinking and your career decisions and your finances and your family and your marriage so that the light of the gospel shines into every part of who you are and every part of your life. So that's what the command is. Work out your salvation and th that should hopefully, um, you know, bring some clarity to what Paul is not saying and also to help us understand um, just the encouragement of this passage. God is at work in us and we want to commit ourselves to going in the direction um, that he is bringing about this change, this process of sanctification. So what I want to do in the rest of this sermon is I want to make five observations about that command. And then I want to make some comments about practically from this passage. How do we do that? How do we work out our salvation? So let me just make a couple observations that I think will help to really unfold the beauty of what Paul is saying. So a couple observations, five. Number one, this is a group project. Uh, the, 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 the pronouns are plural. Work out your own salvation. Paul is talking to this group of people. So when we hear this, this, this charge to work out our salvation, you know, you remember back at like maybe in college or high school, there's like individual projects and then there's group projects. Working out your salvation is a group project. It is something that Paul intends for us to do in the context of Christian community. You don't just go home with your Bible, you and the Bible and the spirit and figure it out. That's not how it works. As you seek to apply the gospel to your life, all of your life, you need to do that by the power of the spirit through the word in the context of Christian community. 
And so that's really what the local church is. The local church is a group of people who are committed to growing in the gospel together, to believing and celebrating who Christ is and what he's done, and also growing in godliness and seeing God transform us together as we commit ourselves to Christ. So this is a group project. Number two, it's also it's also serious. Notice that it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, fear and trembling. And, and for a lot of us, you know, our sort of um, our sort of reference for fear is like maybe horror movies or something where we're just like, you know, terrified. Um, and I think the idea here we have to understand in the context of the whole Bible. And what I want to do is reference a few verses. You can just jot these down. Um, but I think that fear and trembling really indicates the presence of God. Um, and this is very important because in order to work out our salvation, we need God's presence in us. And, and we have that through his spirit. But I think when Paul says with fear and trembling, he's reminding us that it is God's presence in us that makes this possible. So Job 4.14, Job talks about fear and trembling overcoming him. Um, Isaiah 21.4, when God's handwriting is on the wall before Belshazzar, you know, fear and trembling overcome the people. Psalm 114.7 talks about, uh, this is the one on whom I look, he who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. And then, of course, in Mark 4.40, um, you know, the disciples are on the boat with Jesus and there's a storm. You know the story. And Jesus, they wake him up and he calms the storm. And then it says they were effectively, they were more terrified after he calmed the storm than they were in the storm. And you read that and you go, well, why would you be more scared after the storm than before the storm? And the answer is that when Jesus calms the storm, they are aware that they are in the presence of God because only God can calm waves. That goes back to Isaiah. Isaiah says only Yahweh can calm the waves. And here Jesus has calmed the waves. It's very clear to them at that moment. We're in a boat with God. And that's why they experience that fear, because they're in the presence of God. So I think the point is this. God's presence is what enables us to work out our salvation. Fear and trembling is sort of a reverential respect for the fact that God is not only with us, that by his spirit he is in us, and by his spirit he is accomplishing the work that he commands of us. And so um, God's presence is such an encouragement because there's no way we could do this on our own. I know that it's hard to apply the gospel to certain areas of our life. There can be certain pain involved because we're having to we're having to go in a new direction and old habits and patterns. It's it's hard. Um, but it's possible. It's possible in that area of your life that you've been maybe maybe holding for yourself. It's possible because God's spirit is in you and you can commit yourself to this work because um, because God's God's presence is in us. Number three, it this command is hopeful. And we've already touched upon this, but it says it is God who works in you. I mean, the, the hope of this 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 passage is that Paul is commanding us to do what God by his spirit provides. 
Um, I want to make an analogy to like a math problem because uh, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school and college, math was not my favorite subject. Um, and, and, and I kind of imagine it this way. Imagine a teacher were to give you a math uh, problem and, and, and then imagine that in addition to this very difficult math problem, you had Newton or um, uh, Archimedes or Pythagoras or whoever, uh, whoever's a, you know, you regard to be the smartest math person ever. Maybe the, the person from A Beautiful Mind. Not, not Russell Crowe, the actor, but the actual guy he's portraying, Nash, I think is his name. But imagine you're given a math problem and it's challenging. And in, in, in and of itself, you can't do it. But then imagine you have right there with you someone who is just no, no, no challenge for at all. And this is really what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, work out your own salvation. But here's the hope. God is at work in you. And then it says both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this process of, of applying the gospel to all of our life and to really making sure that we are in every way pointed in the direction of God's word and God's work in us, it's not just that God says, do this. It's that God says, look, I am with you, I am in you, and I am going to bring this about by the power of my spirit. So this is hopeful. God is at work in us. Now, the other thing I want to point out is that it's ongoing. It's ongoing. The, the verb tense here indicates that this is not only a group project, this is like a life project. Whether you've been a Christian for a month, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, you are in the process of sanctification. God is at work in you. And the command this morning is to commit ourselves to that work. We don't want to work against God's purposes. We want to commit our, our will and our efforts to going in the direction that God is calling us. But this is an ongoing work. You know, there are, there are some projects in life that we like to check off. You know, like on a Saturday, you say, these are five things. I want to clean the garage. I want to uh, do the laundry. And it feels so good to just kind of check those things off. Well, working out your salvation is never something in this life you will check off. It's something that up until the day you die, you will have to wake up and commit yourself to. Um, it's an ongoing project. Um, and, and kind of one of the joys of growing in Christ is that just when you see one area of your life sort of brought under the obedience of Christ, God will point out some new area where there's work to do. And this is part of the, the reasons why Christianity is the greatest journey ever. Because um, the more we grow, the more we see area for growth. And so this morning, let me just remind you, this is an ongoing project. You know, maybe you've slipped and you've stumbled. Well, listen, let me get back up and just commit yourself to it again. I read one author who said that the mark of true Christian maturity is not that you never stumble. It's how quick you get back up. So maybe this morning the encouragement is just to get back up and recommit yourself to pointing your life in the direction of growth and obedience. It's an ongoing work. Don't get discouraged. Be encouraged. God is at work in you. 
Well, it's also joyful. And this is really important. This is the last of the five points that I'll make about the command. It's a joyful command. Notice that this is what Paul says, that God is at work in us for his good pleasure. And so here's one of the great things about this is that God gets pleasure when we grow in godliness. I mean, that's awesome to think that the God of the universe delights in watching you grow in godliness. And one of the things the Bible does over and over again is it connects, you know, our pleasure to God's pleasure. And so as Christians, we are being recreated. We, we, we are new creations and we're being conformed through this process of sanctification as God is at work in us. And we get joy in the things that honor God. And so as we commit ourselves to growing in godliness, it says that God does this for his good pleasure. But then at the end of our passage in verse 18, Paul says, likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. And so here's the beautiful thing about Christian community. As we are committed together to growing in godliness, God is glorified and we get joy and pleasure in seeing our lives transformed to be more like Christ. This doesn't mean that it is easy, but the Christian life is the most joyful life, not because it's easy, but because um, seeing the seeing the work of God sort of develop in our lives is so encouraging and it is so fulfilling. All right. So those are the five things I wanted to say about the command that I hope really unfold this in a way that helps you to understand and really enjoy God's word. Now, let me make some practical observations from our passage. So some practical steps in working out your salvation. Well, number one um, practical step is thanksgiving. Paul says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. So Paul puts it in a negative light. Do, do life without these things. I'm sort of summarizing it by saying we can work out our salvation by being thankful. Um, you know, I've been reading through the Old Testament uh, as part of a uh, read through the Bible plan. And one thing that's really obvious is that uh, one of the main evidence of Israel's rebellion against God um, which brought about really deadly consequences is their lack of thanksgiving. Sometimes we can, con we can treat complaining and grumbling like they're kind of not that big a sin. Um, but really it's a sign. Grumbling and complaining are a sign that we think we know better than God. We think, God, you know, this is the life I should have. This is the job I should have. This is the, this is the spouse I should have or the kids I should have. This is the world I should live in. I think we're all kind of tempted right now in that way. But grumbling and complaining is a sign that we are not trusting in God. And the gospel is all about trusting in God. So working out our salvation, applying the gospel, is all about repenting of grumbling and complaining and committing ourselves to being thankful as evidence of faith. And I think if there's one aspect of Jesus's spirituality that is really often buried in, 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 in all the other things that we talk about is the fact that Jesus was constantly giving thanks to God. At times when I would not, Jesus was thanking God. So work out your salvation in gratitude. Work out your salvation in 
gratitude. Number two, have a clear conscience. Notice what Paul says. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish and in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. So have a clear conscience. Keep your life free of things that you know dishonor God. And this is so simple and it is so challenging. We live in a world that Paul calls a crooked and twisted generation. Sometimes we can think, oh, the world is so bad now and it used to be good. Ever since the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned and were kicked out of the garden, the world has been twisted and crooked. And it was twisted and crooked then, and it's twisted and crooked now, and it's twisted and crooked in different ways. Um, but we, like all of God's people, have always lived and had the challenge of living in a twisted and crooked generation. And so our charge in the midst of that is to commit ourselves to living in a way that honors God. And the challenge is that in the world, sin is celebrated and it's funny and it's just no big deal. And Paul says, look, if you're saved, steer clear of things that you know are wrong. And here's the thing. Here's one of the things that helps us. This whole business of working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is in you and with you, knowing that God is in you and with you helps you to remember you're never alone. You know, there's there's no way to sort of shut God out. Um, the, the great accountability of the Christian life is the presence of God in us. And as as brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that he's he's with us and he's behind our desire to grow together so work out your salvation by maintaining a clear conscience. Number three, work out your salvation by being biblical. Notice it says in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, holding fast to the word of life. Let me just summarize this by saying one of the practical ways to work out your salvation is to just commit yourself to being a biblical woman or a biblical man or a biblical young person, or a biblical um, retired person, or just whatever stage in life you are. And every stage of life has different challenges. Um, just commit yourself to being a person who meditates on God's Word daily, reads God's Word daily, um, is memorizing Scripture. You know, I know when you're young, maybe you're a part of a memorized Scripture program, and then you get to be an adult, and you go, How? you know, when did we stop doing that? It is so good to just not only read God's word, but as the psalmist says, to hide God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against God. And this is one of the interesting things that we see in the book of Philippians. We've said that the book of Philippians is about celebration and growth. And one of the interesting things is that the more we celebrate who God is and what God has done, that celebration leads to growth. So if we will commit ourselves to God's word, just being in the word on a daily basis, practically speaking, is probably the most powerful thing you can do in terms of working out your salvation, applying the gospel to every area of life. And the last thing I'll say just practically is self-sacrifice. Verse 17, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. There's no way to overlook the fact. We saw this last week that in order to grow in the gospel, we must look to Christ. Christ is the one who came from heaven 
died for our sins and rose again and has the name that is above all names. And when you look to Christ, you see someone who is willing to give up his comfort to serve others. And Paul, after looking to Christ in verses 1 through 11, reminds us that he is following the example of Christ by laying down his life in service to others. And so, practically speaking, applying the gospel to our life means that we are willing to be inconvenienced for others. We're willing to have our plans interrupted for others. We invite God. We even pray that God would give us opportunities to serve. And when we find ourselves kind of angry that we're not, you know, things aren't happening the way we want, we need to check that and say, you know, God, thank you for an opportunity to serve. This isn't a distraction. This is the mission. The mission is to serve um, as our master served. So those are some practical ways that we can uh, apply this to our lives. And then there's this great promise in the passage. Um, what happens when we, when we work out our salvation? Um, and you see it in verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God um, among whom you sh- uh, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the, the real hope of this passage is that our salvation is assured because of the work of Christ. And when we commit ourselves to growing in our sanctification and growing in obedience and pointing our lives in the direction that God is at work through his word and by his spirit, we shine as lights in the world. And, and this idea of God's people shining is a, is a, is a, a, a biblical theme. 500 years before Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi, 500 years earlier, Daniel, in Daniel 12.3, said that God's people, um, God's people who pursue righteousness shine like stars forever and ever. And then a thousand years before Daniel wrote those words, God took Abraham outside and he said, look towards the heavens and count the stars. So shall your descendants be. And when when God tells Abraham that his descendants will be like the stars, I think there's two things in view. Number one is the, 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 the number. God is promising that Abraham's descendants will be vast. But there's also the impact. God's descendants will shine. And that point is repeated by Daniel and it's repeated here by Paul. And the promise is that when we trust in Christ, we are saved. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And when we apply the truth of the gospel to our lives, we shine. When I was a kid, there was a song we used to sing. This little light of mine. And, you know, sometimes songs just nail it theologically. And, and I asked a question earlier, you know, we have salvation. What do we do with it? And that song says, it asks a question, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then one of the verses say, hide it under a bushel. And when you were a kid, you'd go like this. And then you'd say, no, I'm going to let it shine. And that's exactly right. God has saved us. And our job is to shine the truth of the gospel in all of our lives. If you have trusted in Christ, you are saved. 
But the process of sanctification continues. So let's commit ourselves to God's work in our lives so that together we might shine the light of the gospel more brightly. Let me pray that for us now. Father, we thank you for your word and just the the beauty and clarity of it that we as just normal people can go to your word and just mine it for treasure. And it is so good for our hearts and it is so good for our souls. And God, I trust that you've encouraged your people through it this morning. And I trust that you're challenging us as well through it this morning. So God, we thank you and we praise you because we know that is evidence of your spirit at work in us. So we commit ourselves to the work of the gospel this week. In Jesus' name, amen.